This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Hello, hello. Hey, Chris. How are you doing today, Claire? I'm good. How are you? I, you know, I'm doing all right. It's uh, It's been a hectic week of standardized testing at the uh, school I work at. So, you know, lots of uh, sitting Got and it. staring and waiting for students to yep. be done. So, you know, but it's good. I'm home now. So it's all right. I remember oh. taking those. Oh my God. It's, uh, it doesn't get any better as a teacher. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, thank you so much for hopping on TPQ20 with me today. Um, as I always like to start things off, uh, we know who you are, but our audience might be new to you. Uh, so if you were to kind of give um, the bio that's not on uh, what you send out to authors or mm-hmm. uh, what your press might have, who would you say you are? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> That is a tough one. Well, let's see. I am Midwest born and raised. Uh, I grew up in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota, and I live here now, although I moved away and, and found my way back. <laughs> um, but I I like to start with that because I think a lot of people think that publishing only happens in New York. So I like to rep the the Minneapolis publishing scene whenever I can. Absolutely. Um, and Let's see. I was actually asked in a job interview once if I identify more as a reader or a writer. And it sort of sent me into existential crisis at the time. (laughs) But I've been thinking about it a lot ever since I got asked that question, um, because I do write, but I actually think of myself more as a reader. um, Because I think that reading and responding to things is a skill in its own right and a very creative skill and one that I happen to identify more with and and why I think I ended up in the job that I have. Um, So I guess in in my bio, I would say I'm a reader um, in many senses of the word. Okay, Um, I like that. and that gives us a, a great place to start. Uh, normally, obviously, TPQ20, we we talk with, you know, with poets um, who are, you know, have books coming out or, you know, and um, and I remember when I sent you a message and asked if you'd like to be on, you actually asked if I was looking for a different Claire. And I said, <laughs> no, I, I am looking specifically for you. Um I love the idea that you identify as a reader uh, and that, and that you find that there is a kind of a skill and a, you know, I like to think an art form to responding to someone else's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are, so you are a publicist uh, and, um, and we'll get kind of more into the meat of that in a little while, but what does it mean to you um, 
when you said you kind of had that existential crisis moment of are you a reader or a writer um what makes you what makes you kind of slide to the reader side when you still write mm-hmm. and is i guess is there room is there room for both do you have to compartmentalize it too much or yeah i i think there is there is definitely room for both i think it's hard for me personally just you know working full time etc to find time for that that writing part of of who i am um but i think sort of philosophically i identify more as a reader because um you know i think culturally we we put so much emphasis on creation and creators and and really kind of privilege that over um the creative act of of responding which i think is just as important and valid and sort of like i mean i think editors for example they their wheelhouse is when something is already on the page that they have you know they have something to work with um and then they're taking it to this new place through their work um and i think for me as a publicist i i start working with the books when they're already finished and they're ready to go out into the world and my part of the creative process is thinking about um, how to talk about them, how to frame them to readers, um, how to find different audiences for them, um, and to sort of think in advance how all of these different responses um, might be framed or might come in, you know, thinking about what a review might be interested in or a podcast, for example, mm-hmm. you know, what what are some things that people might want to talk about in relation to the book. Um, And I think for me, that's just where I feel like I really thrive is in thinking about those dimensions of an object that already exists. And now what are all of the possibilities for that object in the world? I like that. And it's, 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 it's interesting. Publicity side of things or any type of promotion side of things is always fascinating to me. I I spent the last 30 years playing music. Um, and so like, you know, the, there in the nineties, there was a real art to promotion, you know, the hand to hand, everything was hand to hand posters everywhere. Um, you know, and then the online boom came and, and everything kind of moved. Um, these last couple of these last few years, obviously pandemic wise pushed everything online. Um, but, uh, with the uh, we'll, we'll call it Twitter's existential crisis, um, mm-hmm. as as we find you know Twitter has sort of been kind of the the poetry playground for mm-hmm. a little while. Do you find that? Um, how do you gear things toward different social media platforms? In your in your view, when a book comes in, um, where do you send it as far as Twitter or Instagram? And what do you what's your headspace with that? So if you really love something, where does it, where does it go? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is, it is true about Twitter in particular for poetry has been um, so helpful in many ways. I mean, not, I mean, Twitter has its own set of problems and challenges, obviously, but um, I think poets in particular are so good at shouting out each other's books right. just as much or more than their own even. Um, I, I really find on Twitter that the poetry community really shows up for one another there. Um, and whenever people have books coming out, that's where we where we find some of the most traction is is through poets' colleagues and their own network and their community. Um, 
And there's something about Twitter and Instagram as well, where it's so easy to share an individual poem as opposed to, you know, memoirs or novels or other forms. There's something about the, the kind of instant access to one poem that I think provides an entry point for so many readers. I mean, I know I found poetry books that way in the past where I read yeah. one poem and it's so effective and it, it hits me so deeply that then I go and, and I'm interested in that poet's other work and I find their books or that kind of thing. So it, it's, it's such a um, kind of immediate channel. But I think as far as the different platforms go, I mean, Twitter and Instagram are both helpful in that sense for sharing those kind of like sneak peeks or, or snippets right. or windows into an author's work. Um, I think Instagram is helpful just in terms of the visibility of a cover. It, it sounds simplistic, but mm -hmm. it is helpful because the yeah. more people see and recognize a book, the more likely they are to kind of recognize it in a bookstore or online. And, and, and it just creates um, a kind of awareness. It has definitely up the uh, up the game of cover artists. Yeah. Um, at this point, I mean, really, because we do we do live in such a quick, you know, we're scrolling past things. So mm -hmm. if we don't, if that cover doesn't catch our eye, we might not come back to it. We might totally forget about it. it doesn't matter what it is. It's right. a, That that must. I mean, that has to present problems at at times for you know for you as well. If there's something maybe that's a little more dry than you might you know. Mm -hmm. see otherwise yeah and it's it's hard because there's so much noise you know mm -hmm. and publishers it's it's kind of our challenge to break through the noise with every book that we put right. out um and that can be really tricky and and I think it's a delicate balance between creating really strong covers and and cover artists are amazing at what they do yeah. um but also finding a way to not just follow trends you know and to create covers that um do the books justice and respond to their, their uniqueness, you know? Um, I think there's been a lot of think pieces lately about the sort of colorful blobs cover mm -hmm. <laughs> and how it's time for us to sort of like move beyond it. Um, yeah. But as a, as a secondary teacher, I, the, the trends that you see in, especially like young adult fiction books, the mm -hmm. trends that you get in cover art uh, you know, when, when Twilight came out, every book after Twilight had that black silhouette, you know, cover for yeah. years. And then, you know, you move to whatever else is next. And like, I remember like of a, uh, I stumbled in the class today across a, the book Redwall, uh, the mm -hmm. Brian Jocks books. And I was talking to my wife about it this morning because that became the cover of, you know, a cover of the late nineties for, you know, any type of fantasy book was just that cover. Um, yeah. What do you do when you see something that you that you're not like super, not the writing necessarily, but even the, well, I guess both a, a little bit, you have to have some times where you come across something that you're not as passionate about as others. Like I always tell my reviewers that like when we look at a book, um, it was published for a reason. The publisher picked it, fell in love with it because of something. So if, if it's not our favorite, there's still a reason for it being there. Um, when you take a look at things, uh, I guess, how does your process work? Do you, do you get to select who your, who your authors are that you work with, or is it kind of as Grey Wolf brings in new authors, it's just your job regardless? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very lucky 
that I work at Gray Wolf. Yeah, you do work at you, <laughs> you do work at one one place where you don't really have to be concerned with you know what's coming through. It's all it's going to be amazing. Jeff does a, a great job with yeah running a ship over there, and it's, it's yeah. awesome. Yes, he has um, incredible taste, and part of the reason I wanted to work at Gray Wolf was because I already knew I was a fan of their list in general, and and those are books I would probably pick up on my own even if I didn't work there. Um, of course, there are books that. I'm drawn to more than others. Uh, you know, I, I think that would be the case wherever I worked. Um, but I think part of my job is really to be a matchmaker. So it, it's almost mm. like, it's almost like dating where you can see like, this person isn't for me, but they would be like perfect for my friend <laughs> or something. Love and that. there, there is, that is a, a fun and interesting part of my job whether or not it's it's my favorite book on the list or not is thinking about who who would fall in love with this book or who would find this book and be so grateful that someone published it mm. um and then that that keeps it interesting and fulfilling for me because even if it's not um you know the favorite one that i had that season to think about how i'm going to find the right audience for it um is is another fulfilling part of the job so i i think of I think of it as kind of a matchmaking process in that sense too. I like that. I that I like that a lot. That's a cool way to think about it. I hadn't ever I had never kind of put those things together before. But yeah, it really does work like a like a dating service a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um I often like to talk about the idea of pitfalls um with authors as they come through. Uh and one of the pitfalls that I hear often on here and I think Twitter shouts it a lot um good and bad is that idea of gatekeeping um and kind of like what keeps a book away from a from a publisher and as as you know a, a press as well i you know i definitely understand that you get hundreds and hundreds of things and not everything is for the press um but what i mean what do you think as somebody who has worked for two fairly successful presses in milkweed and gray wolf i mean and they both publish a diverse, a diverse group of poets. What do you think when it comes to people calling out this idea of gatekeeping at, at some of the, of the bigger presses? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a really important question, I think, for all publishers to be thinking about. And it's difficult because I am, I'm, I'm not very involved in the acquisition process. You know, like right. I said, as a publicist, I am usually coming to books once we've already decided to publish them and, and it's time to think about how we're going to introduce them to, to readers and to the world. Um, so I think it's, you know, that question of gatekeeping and, and process, it starts so much earlier in the process than I'm really a part of, right. but it is something I think about because I mean, I, the, the closest that the closest example I can think of in, in my role in publishing is thinking about, um, how publishers need to be sort of proactive rather than just responsive. So mm. for example, when I'm pitching a book to the media, I don't necessarily just want to frame it in a way that, you know, I think they would already talk about the book or, right. or like you see a lot of trends in reviews as well. I mean, reviews yes. tend to follow <laughs> similar formulas or they talk about certain books in certain ways. Yep. Um, and I think about this a lot with um, 
some of the the kind of racism and, and sexism you see in in some kinds of review coverage where mm -hmm. they'll talk about an author's identity if that person is is coming from a marginalized identity and not about right. the craft yep. um and if it's if, if it's a white author they're probably going to only talk about craft and not identity uh and i i feel like my job as a publicist for example is not to then just follow that formula, but to actually help guide the, the conversation in the direction I think it needs to go um, in the way that I, I pitch and talk about the book myself and sort of opening some of those um, doors that I, I feel like, you know, can can remain closed in, in the broader kind of media landscape. Um, but the same goes for publishing and, and the way that publishers are making those decisions. Um, and I hope that those questions are in in acquiring editors' minds as well. Um, I'm sure they are at, at Grey Wolf. You know, I, I right. trust my colleagues in that sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I mean, of course, there's questions of like establishment and and some of the um, kind of institutional barriers that exist across the board. Um, you know, I I have friends who don't have MFAs um, or even you know BAs necessarily, but I know they're amazing writers. Right. Um, but I know that if you just took a look at their resume and you're getting hundreds of submissions, it's easy to rule those people out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the tough question is, are we are we uh, using those credentials as a gauge rather than the actual content? And how do we kind of like level the the playing field in that way? I, it's interesting to think about it that way, kind of the the more resume approach uh you know and how how that does look you know it, and i also think it's it's the you know the authors who might be coming for a you know trying for a debut somewhere definitely feel it a little bit more than those who have been published in the past and you know those no's and rejections i mean no's and rejections always hurt but those earliest ones you know hurt worse and i think definitely uh, feelings come into it a little bit more um, when the people around us, especially you know, in the Twitter world, are are shouting out their new like new contracts on a regular basis, it can be tricky. Um, yeah. What about some of the what about some of the misnomers? The idea that you know how how much publicity for a book for an author, how much is too much? Like you know, is is there kind of a you know is there kind of what's your gauge for how many times should should an author actually shout out their work or or put out an ad or promote themselves at where where is the line yeah that's a good question um <clears throat> i feel like i have experienced a wide array um in in this arena I, you know i have some authors who are super involved very active on social media and then i work with some authors who don't want to be part of the promotion game at all right. you know and and both are okay with me. I mean, I feel like it's it's my job to help promote the book. And if they want to be a collaborator in that, then that's great. And if they don't, then that's what I'm here for. Um, I think when it comes to the line of how much self-promotion is, you know, when is it enough? I Something I, I advise my authors is just to make sure that in addition to promoting your own work, you're doing the same for others mm. so that it feels like when people come to your page, it's not just a litany of like pre-order my book, pre-order my book, but they're getting a sense there of the community that you're a part of your own tastes, you know, wh what other books you feel like your book is in conversation with, or might be similar to. Um, I, I think that goes a long way because it's sort of, um, 
you know, it has a ripple effect. Like, <laughs> you know, if, if you're shouting people out, then they're going to shout you out. Not that it has to feel like transactional in that mm -hmm. sense, but. But at the um, same time, I mean, it kind of, in a way it sort of is. I mean, if I don't know about your book and you're not, you know, leaving room for mine, there's got, there is a little bit of a transactional relationship in promotion. I mean, shouting out people is the only way that some other people are going to get heard. But yeah, the timelines that are just buy my book, buy my book, buy my book are. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you have to think about like, what are people actually, what kinds of content are they actually going to find interesting? Do you and ever it, find yourself telling an author to stop? I have not had that experience yet. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just very lucky in that the authors I've worked with at, at Grey Wolf and Milkweed tend to be so gracious and right. and humble and um good literary citizens and that they're often you know talking about other books as much as their own um so I haven't had that experience yet but who knows I'm sure it'll happen one day <laughs> now I will say you, you mentioned kind of that idea you know when you have to send out your email blasts to people um you know I get a lot of them, uh, you know, when, when I open up the review books for the year, I get hundreds of different emails coming through. And it's always fascinating to me to see what people actually write and how they try to get, you know, to get my attention. And, you know, I think we've, we've probably, I've probably known you for a couple of years, at least a couple of years now through Milkweed and, and Grey Wolf. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I mean, there is an art form to sending out your emails. You do a great job with, with catching attention and you, you know, you don't, you do a good job of giving me just enough to make me want to send it off to, to a reviewer. Want it. Ronnie, Ronnie Stevens is kind of our, you know, our like lead reviewer for, you know, he's, he gets first pick of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you are definitely one of the, one of the, the few publicists that we have kept kind of in a, in a good rotation because it's nice to see what you have to say about a book, to know if it's something, one, if it's something that that would work for us. And two, you set it up so that I know where to send it. I, so I have, you know, if I have five or six reviewers, I know exactly the person that I can put this to. Like you were still talking earlier, it's kind of like a dating service. I know, I know exactly which reviewer might like this book at this time and who I think would be, you know, would be best for it. Um, I got to go backwards though, a little bit, because I, as we kind of reach toward the ending here, um, what made you want to head this direction in the first place? So what was there kind of a, a moment where you read something and you're like, I really want to get this out into the world. Um, was there kind of a catalyst for that? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words about oh, absolutely. <laughs> Hey, I, it's, it's, I, I love reading, reading publicist emails because sometimes they are, there are some that are very, very direct um, mm -hmm. and some that leave you with literally no information about anything. Um, and so it's hard. It, it's, there is an art form to what you do, like you were saying earlier, and it's, uh, you do it well. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is an art form and it, it takes a lot of practice, I think, to sort of hit the right balance and, and also just to find your own voice. I mean, I think it would be really easy for me to just copy and paste the the language that we put on the back of the book and put it into an email um, and save myself, you know, hours of work and, and just send it <laughs> off. But I feel like, I feel like that, I mean, first of all, it, it takes the fun out of the job because right. I enjoy the process of thinking about a book and how I would actually talk about it mm -hmm. um, 
or how I would get someone's attention in just a paragraph or two. Um, but also I feel like, like you said, people like you get hundreds of emails from publicists and if they open it and can just tell that it's sort of a copy paste, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the back cover copy just right. in an email, it's so easy to ignore and delete it and yeah. move on to the next one. Um, so I do try to make it sort of my own and, and to give reviewers a sense of, um, maybe the more surprising elements of the book or the, the qualities of the book that I think make it really special. Right. Um, and as far as heading in this direction, I didn't start out in publishing thinking I would end up in publicity because I, you know, I identify as an introvert and <laughs> <laughs> I thought that all publicists had to be super extroverted and kind of like the loudest voice in the room. And um, I just thought like, I guess I don't have the right personality type for that. Right. Uh, but then I, my first sort of publishing job, I ended up as a publicity assistant and I tried to keep an open mind and thought maybe I would like it. And I actually did really, really enjoy it. And I think it's because it sort of goes back to that question of being a reader. And mm -hmm. uh, also I think that I'm really good at being a fan. <laughs> you know, I think that like yeah. being a fan is another skill and, um, one that I think I'm, I'm good at. Like, I feel like I really know how to appreciate something. And I think that if you can do that well, then you can be a publicist, even if you're, you know, more introverted than extroverted or what have you. Um, I really just love uh, appreciating books and figuring out a way to, to get other people to fall in love with them. And a lot of publicity is building like those one-on-one -on -one connections with yeah. journalists and reviewers and with authors. Um, and I do really love that part, you know, because that's a more like, uh, I don't know, those relationships are not just like shouting from the rooftop ones, right. you know, they take like time and effort and um, that part I, I really enjoyed too. Well, as we kind of head now toward the end, I always ask uh, who you're reading uh, these days, who are you reading outside of Grey Wolf? What are you reading for? What are you reading for fun? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's honestly, are you, are you reading for fun? <laughs> I am. I am. I, I was really grateful for the the break over the holidays because I got to kind of replenish my, my reading stack that is not work related, even though I love all of our great wolf books dearly. Um, I'm trying to think of one that I would really want to end with. Uh, let's see. Well, I, I'm reading Checkout 19 by Claire Louise Bennett, which is a novel. All right. Um, so not poetry. That's but all right. <laughs> I think that the prose is very poetic in its in its very style um, and is actually a book that is a lot about reading, um, which okay. is probably why I love it and sort of how the main character defines herself through the books she's read. Um, that sounds really cool. So that would be my, that would be my rec. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out on TPQ20 with me today. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. And uh, I always look forward to your emails coming in uh, and seeing what you have to say about the next great book from Grey Wolf. Uh, awesome. so thank you so much. And I will speak with you soon, I'm sure. It sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Chris. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.